I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Anne McElvoy and this is The Economist Asks. And this week we ask, how can Britain's fractured political landscape recover? We've never seen a two and a half weeks like it. Every time you get out of bed, something seismic's happened. Former Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, Nigel Evans there, and we'll be hearing more from him later on. Also on the programme, we'll be learning how Premier political impressionist Rory Bremner says goodbye to David Cameron. I want to thank the people of this country. When I say the people of this country, of course, I mean the people of Scotland and Northern Ireland and London who voted in. Uh, the rest of you I don't really care about. But no, I, I, I... And Lord Hayne, once a leading Blairite, will be sharing his views on the state of Her Majesty's opposition. And for the Labour Party, it's tearing us apart, but we've got to kind of uh, find a way through uh, that keeps us united. Conservative historian Andrew Roberts will be laying out a longer view of the current chaos, while Emma Reynolds, a prominent reform voice on the Labour benches, joins us too. Historically, you really have to go back a long way, probably as much as three quarters of a century, to see quite the amount of turmoil. How on earth can we uh, proceed as a parliamentary party if Jeremy remains the leader? I don't see how that can continue. But first, it's been three weeks of unprecedented instability in modern British politics. The British people's vote to leave is the start of a process. I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. And I can provide that leadership. I have concluded that person cannot be me. Theresa May carries over 60% of support from the Parliamentary Party. Her Majesty the Queen has asked me to form a new government, and I accept it. When it comes to women Prime Ministers, I'm very pleased to be able to say pretty soon it's going to be 2 nil. <laughs> For the Conservatives, some say the worst might be over. But to test that thesis, I went down to Parliament myself. It's a sunny, blustery day down here at Abingdon Green at Westminster, where all the camera crews gather after the big parliamentary occasions. And we've just heard David Cameron saying goodbye to his premiership at Prime Minister's Questions. He's had to leave office. Theresa May is the new Prime Minister. And I'm catching up with some old faces down here at the Green. Nigel Evans, who was a Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons and friend of David Cameron's, and the impersonator Rory Bremner, who counts David Cameron in his canon of political impersonations. So tell me a bit about David Cameron. I suppose when you impersonate someone, you do get a bit of their DNA, their personal, their political DNA. You get a bit of their DNA, but perhaps not in the sense that you're imagining. um, I I think the thing about Cameron, I mean, he was always the the, the consummate performer. What always amazed me about him is that, you know, he was was like the swan, we all know, and everything is going underneath. There was always that sense of the essay crisis underneath. But he was very smooth and a very, very polished performer. So you had to dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface to find out really what, what is worth satirising, if you like. I was just wondering, because he's going to be making his final speech in a bit. 
says, I, I want to thank the people of this country. When I say the people of this country, of course, I mean the people of Scotland and Northern Ireland and London who voted in. Uh, the rest of you I don't really care about. But no, <laughs> I, I, I think what I would say is when we started, people say, are we going to make the rich richer? Are we going to make the poor poorer? I think we managed to do both. Uh, I think we started with a divided party. Uh, now we've got a divided country. Uh, we've gone back to traditional values. Certainly if the pound is anything to go by, that's back to where it was about 30 years ago. And, and, um, and, I, and, I, and I think all of those are great things. But above all, uh, we've, won, we've won Wimbledon, and that's not been done since Stanley Baldwin. <laughs> when did you last sleep, by the way? All these, these political people, these, these political reporters have not slept since April. I've such a crowd. It's been a, I've, been a, I've been knocking around Westminster for 24 years. We've never seen a two and a half weeks like it. Every time you get out of bed, something seismic's happened. <laughs> What Rory, I think, put his finger on there is that way that David Cameron is always very polished, very polite, skates over things that he perhaps doesn't want to talk about. Uh, you, as Deputy Speaker, had to deal with, with that side of the government operation, but also the benches. Those Tory benches are very divided now. We wouldn't fancy your old job back, would you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I tell you what, he, he mentioned uh, just now that he'd answered about 500,000 questions. He said, and I'll leave it up to you to decide whether I did answer them or not. The fact is, he always had something to say. And uh, today was um, uh, surreal in, in many regards, seeing your old boss standing up and making basically a goodbye speech, uh, where, yeah, listen, Rory was right. The party uh, was, has been divided on Europe ever since I was a boy, ever since Europe was invented. Uh, and now he, I guess, it, absurdly, one of his legacies is we're leaving the European Union. Yes. If it hadn't been for uh, David, we wouldn't have had that referendum. He gave it to us. You're a prominent Brexiteer, yeah. and yet you've spoken very kindly about Cameron today. I mean, that may be because you have a good personal relationship with our now only just ex-Prime Minister. But do you feel those benches are a bit divided? Some of them are prominent Remain, and don't think he should have held the referendum at all or that he miscalculated and the others are now roaring Brexiteers like yourself. Yeah, it's I'm a divided sure, party. You've sure, got that. Well there are some uh, ministers there who got tin hats on and still fighting the last war but for the vast majority of MPs whether they voted um, remain um, they've now said well we accept we are where we are and to be honest the other legacy of uh, David Cameron is uh, Britain's second woman Prime Minister and one of the things that she told our parliamentary meeting uh, just a couple of days ago was Brexit means Brexit and I'm going to make a success of it so um, she I think has now got the party united behind her I think nobody could be left in any doubt whatsoever by the time of the next election Britain will be an independent country outside of the European Union and I believe a more successful country because of it. Nigel Evans and Rory Bremner. Now, while the Conservatives are making their way to the Brexit lifeboats, Labour appears to be sinking without trace, at least as far as the polls are concerned. And Labour MPs haven't been slow to cast blame on their embattled captain, Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, we have... Mr Speaker, we have... A Labour Party that isn't presenting a powerful opposition and a credible alternative government. That's what I'm determined to provide. It's leadership that we need. Labour needs a new leader and that woman is Angela Eagle. I'm not here for a Labour Party that just takes part. I'm here to win. So a major rebellion is on and back outside Parliament, I met someone well-placed to read the runes for Labour. So Peter Hayne has just joined me here and Peter has been a minister in the Blair governments, also under Gordon Brown and then of course in the opposition. It must seem like a very odd time in the Labour Party to you at the moment. 
it's a time of turmoil and in a way it reflects the kind of populism and uh, discombobulation that's going on in politics right across democratic societies. We've had our own version through Corbynism in the Labour Party of what Republicans have experienced through Trump in America, uh, Democrats through Bernie Sanders. Right across Europe you've seen populist forces on the right and the left. And for the Labour Party it's tearing us apart but we've got to kind of uh, find a way through uh, that keeps us united. Is Corbynism rising or waning? I think it's waning amongst the massive party members, amongst an energetic and very, very active uh, layer on the left in British society, which to his credit he's brought back in under the Labour banner, who deserted us over the Iraq war and so on. Uh, amongst that group he's enormously popular. But I've been knocking on doors in recent months in both the Welsh Assembly elections and in the Welsh coal mining traditional valley heartlands. It used to, there aren't any mines uh, in them anymore. Uh, and those areas are very antagonistic to Jeremy uh, Corbyn. Every day he remains as a Labour leader, there's a boost for the United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP, which of course uh, provided the impetus behind the referendum which has taken Britain sadly out of Europe. A couple of contenders have come off the benches this week and said they are going to oppose Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. There's Owen Smith and there's Angela Eagle. Are you backing Angela Eagle? Angela's very courageous and very able. I prefer Owen Smith, who is a fresh face, who did not get entangled in the Iraq war in the parliament because he wasn't an MP at the time like I was and like Angela was. We both voted for the Iraq war. They're both very able candidates. Either of them could lead the party and lead it much, much better than Jeremy Corbyn. I think Owen Smith's better placed. He's offering a clear alternative to the conservative austerity program which has seen a revolt right across the democratic world where most people are losing out under this economics from uh, American, uh, uh, American industrial areas to parts of Spain and France and, and in Britain as well. He offers a clear Keynesian economic alternative to that. He's extremely capable and he's committed to Labour's values of social justice uh, and equality. So but, I think he's probably better placed. But how would you get there? We see that Jeremy Corbyn has got a fantastic organisation on the ground who's looking pretty chipper at, at Prime Minister's questions, the valedictory one to Mr Cameron. Everyone thought Jeremy Corbyn might be out and on the skids. It's David Cameron who's gone. Yes, well, politics is uh, unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. But out there with the public, Although people quite admire Jeremy's honesty and the fact that he is completely different to most professional politicians, and that's to his advantage, they don't see him being a prime minister. They don't see him being a credible leader. That, I'm afraid, is the blunt truth. And uh, I think either Angela Eagle or Owen Smith would be seen as credible leaders because they are. The Labour peer and former cabinet minister, Peter Hayne, there. Now, with the furious pace of politics sweeping us away, it's a good time to slow down, reflect and take the long view. And one author well suited to doing that is Andrew Roberts, political historian and biographer. Andrew's written about many of the major conservative politicians and forces that have defined the foundations of British political life, from the 19th century Tory moderniser Salisbury to Churchill. And in the spirit of reflecting on the past, we should also look to the future. And one prominent MP from the 2010 Labour intake, Emma Reynolds, has got some strong views on that. So I started by asking her 
what the reaction to David Cameron's resignation speech said about the general state of British politics. Well, I think since the referendum outcome, there has been a power vacuum in both the main uh, political parties, um, the Conservative Party, because they were they it triggered a leadership uh, election, and in our own party in a slightly different way. But obviously, the Conservatives. Um, are perhaps more ruthless than the Labour Party and have really moved quickly to sort out their succession plan. And it's quite extraordinary to think that at the weekend we didn't know who the next Prime Minister was going to be. And by this evening, we will have the new Prime Minister. So they haven't wasted any time. And I don't think David Cameron himself thought that it would be his last PMQs this week if you'd asked him that question at the weekend. Uh, For my own party, the situation is obviously a lot less clear. We now have a leadership contest and that will take place over the coming weeks and months and we will know the outcome of that in late September. We'll come back to you on the Labour Party's excitements in in just a moment. But Andrew, Emma refers there to that ruthlessness of the Conservative Party. And it's often said you've written about the Conservative Party from the 19th century through Churchill and you comment a lot on it today. Is this an example of that ruthlessness or is it just a bit of what a carve up? Um, no, she's, uh, Emma's absolutely right. The Tories are much more ruthless. Labour historically t- tends to stick by their leaders, allows them often to lose a general election before knifing them, whereas the Conservatives are much more heartless as a party in that regard. And that's what's happened here, certainly. If David Cameron hadn't resigned, he would probably have been forced out one way or another by uh, pro-leave uh, Tory MPs. And so he's done a very decent and straightforward and honourable thing. So just to be clear, you do believe that David Cameron was held hostage by the referendum results, that Brexit result did for him? Undoubtedly, yes. Emma, do you agree? That's absolutely the case. And I found it quite interesting, the press conference that Boris Johnson and Michael Gove held hours after the referendum. Two prominent Brexiteers. They looked actually quite upset and surprised that the Prime Minister had resigned, which I found extraordinary because I thought that the Prime Minister's position would become untenable and that either he would resign immediately or he, as Andrew said, would come under intolerable pressure to resign in the weeks after uh, the referendum. What do you think the impact is, Andrew? If you could draw back the, the long lens historically on the Conservative Party David Cameron out after six years before he thought he would be going. Theresa May coming in, second Conservative leader to be a woman after Margaret Thatcher, of course. A lot of turmoil for the party. A lot of turmoil. And historically, you really have to go back a long way, probably as much as three quarters of a century, to see quite the amount of turmoil because of the people who were knifed in the process of, uh, of getting um, this result. It's, uh, it's more reminiscent, really, of May 1940, of the time that uh, the Tory Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain fell in a national government and then a coalition being formed with, uh, with one of his cabinet ministers taking over when the Labour Party refused to go in office um, under Chamberlain. So you're making a comparison with wartime there, which might strike people as quite dramatic. Well, these have been very dramatic days. They really have. Um, I uh, can't think of any time since then that uh, this kind of uh, mass political bloodletting has, uh, has been seen. 
was there a moment when it came home to you? I'm going to ask you both this, when the political turmoil of the last two weeks suddenly hit home. Uh, For me, there was. It was a cartoon in one of the papers in which a young student is leaving his university digs and it says politics on the door. And uh, somebody asks him, and what period of politics are you you studying this year? He answers, Thursday afternoon to Friday morning. Emma, for you also viewing this with Labour's battles, Jeremy Corbyn, still leader, but an impending split possibly in the party. What was the moment this came home to you? Well, it's been a dreadful few weeks, to be frank. Uh, We had the murder of our colleague Joe Cox. Uh, The week after that, we had the referendum result. I was deeply saddened and disappointed by the outcome. I accept the outcome. And then we have had um, over 60 resignations from shadow ministers uh, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. I have never experienced anything like this in politics. I've only been an MP for six years, but I've been involved in politics for longer. And frankly, if this had happened to any other leader of our party, if it had been Ed Miliband, if it had been Gordon Brown, if it had been Tony Blair, they would have resigned and st- you know, done the right thing and stood back by now. How on earth can we uh, proceed as a parliamentary party if Jeremy remains the leader? I don't see how that can continue. There is a split between Parliament and the grassroots. He's gambling on the fact that he can win a popular vote in the grassroots, new members and the left of his party. But is there any sense that he is reaching out to parliamentarians like yourself who are clearly none too impressed with his leadership? No, Jeremy's not reaching out to me or others. He seems to be saying that it doesn't matter what Labour MPs think. And no other party leader that I have worked with or come across takes that position because we do live in a parliamentary democracy. And it is really important that the leader of the Labour Party commands the confidence of Labour MPs. And on the grassroots, there has been significant movement of my own party members in my own constituency in Wolverhampton, some of whom voted for Jeremy Corbyn, but have now seen that he cannot lead the party. And so there is some movement in our membership as well. But certainly the parliamentary party, has 80% of us have lost confidence in him. And the thing for Jeremy and people around him, like John McDonnell and others, is that they are intent on having a fight with the rest of the Labour Party and in trying to keep that power over the Labour Party rather than taking the fight to the Conservatives. We don't even have a shadow Europe minister right now on our shadow front bench at a time when the biggest challenge that we face as a country is leaving the EU. We don't have uh, a shadow Europe minister, which is a real indictment of his leadership. We should say that you didn't want to serve under Jeremy Corbyn, and I know you're something of an, an expert on, on Europe and European policy. He might say, well, if people like Emma Reynolds would serve under me, then maybe I, I would be able to have a minister. I am not prepared to serve under a hard left leader of the Labour Party. And I'm not the only one. I'm amongst the 80% of Labour MPs who do not want to serve in Jeremy Corbyn's front bench. Because? Because I don't think that he would do us any good. According to the party's own polling, we're going to lose one in three of the people who supported us at the last general election. That would be a dire result for uh, the Labour Party across the country. And it would mean that the Conservatives would basically get pretty much a free ride at the next general election. 
And that, that uh, is, of course, something that an awful lot of Conservatives do want to see. I mean, I, I haven't yet met a Conservative who hasn't wanted Jeremy Corbyn to win this. There was a point where he was such a danger to have somebody who was hard left as Prime Minister. Now, virtually no Conservatives believe that he could ever become Prime Minister and therefore will lose Labour the next election. I'd like to turn to Theresa May. We've said goodbye to David Cameron and straight away it's hello to Theresa May. We've seen the removal vans were there in that very rapid way that the British Constitution works by removal van, you're out and, and in comes the next person putting their rug in front of the fire. Theresa May, Andrew Roberts, impressive to your mind? Yes, um, she's uh, she's obviously a, a hard-nosed politician. She doesn't do deals um, in the way that, um, that David Cameron and many other politicians um, uh, do. There's a coldness to her, which I don't... She's going to have to work to endear herself to the British public, it strikes me. But uh, nonetheless, she has been handed this, uh, this sort of open open ticket at the moment by, uh, by the Labour Party. I don't think she's going to take advantage of it in calling a general election. But nonetheless, um, it does allow her really totally free reign for the moment. How does she balance the cabinet? And if you have any longer lens on it historically, please do bring it in. She has Brexiteers who want Brexit means Brexit, she said. That kept them happy for about five minutes. But of course, she also has very prominent Remainers and people who know the officers of state well who were largely on the Remain side. How is this going to add up? Well, going back to the May 1940 precedent, she has to bring everybody into a big tent. She has to be the first amongst equals. She has to bring in people who opposed her, uh, even who were you know, quite virulently um, against her. But at the same time, of course, there's only a certain number of uh, seats around the cabinet table. She's also got to try to make space for her supporters because there's nothing worse than looking ungrateful to the people who supported you. So it will be an amazingly difficult um, balancing act. I'm just looking at your book here on Salisbury, Victorian Titan, no less, but basically the creator of the modern Conservative Party in many of its structures and, and operations. What could you learn from Salisbury? Well, he fir- he definitely did that. He was a tremendously intellectually self-confident man, so he didn't mind who was in, in his cabinet. They all had to uh, represent some different aspect of, uh, of power within the party. Um, but uh, he very much appointed people who he knew would, uh, would, would test him. Emma? Well, I think what's interesting about Theresa May is that she will be the first Prime Minister for quite some time uh, and leader of the Conservative Party that, in a way, doesn't have the question as to whether we remain a member of the European Union hanging over her head because we will be leaving. Obviously, the question as to what our membership looks like is much, much more complicated than that. But she won't have the same problems as John Major uh, and David Cameron has had in that she won't come under pressure to have a referendum because we've already had one and she won't come under pressure uh, to uh, those competing pressures in the Conservative Party from those who want to remain and those who want to leave. Because as Democrats, we have to accept the will of the people. We have to accept the referendum results. So in a way, that is easier in some ways. But the arrangement that we are going to go into with the EU is a much more complicated issue. She Do has you said, see a clear way forward there that you could put in a nutshell? Well, there are two different things going on here. Everybody's talking about Article 50 and when we should trigger it. That is one part of the conversation. But that is just about withdrawing from the EU. The alternative arrangement that we're going to have, the trading relationship, the cooperation, the level of cooperation... Uh, what happens to security arrangements, what happens to uh, everything else, what happens to passporting and financial services, all of these other issues won't necessarily be agreed within the parameters of Article 50. And I think people 
are mixing those two things up. And they're actually two, perhaps not distinct things, because they are interrelated. But this is going to take quite some time, and it is a complicated uh, procedure. And it doesn't really just stop at Europe, of course. They've also got to be uh, trading agreements with the United States and with China and with uh, um, India and other important um, exporting countries like that. So, yes, this, and especially at a time when the pound has gone down 10%, is going to be a, uh, a period of continued sort of maelstrom. Doesn't yeah. necessarily think it's a bad th- I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing. I think we are going, I think we're going to get, Britain is going to get a, uh, a series of trading deals uh, with some of those countries I just mentioned before the EU ever does, uh, because the EU has 27 countries that need to come together on that. But uh, nonetheless, it is very clearly going to be a, a, a period of, uh, of a great deal of um, questions and contradictions. One practical issue is that because we haven't negotiated our own free trade deals for over 40 years, we simply at the moment don't have the personnel. So I think there is a scramble to recruit trade negotiators uh, negotiators and experienced people to actually perform these sort of uh, duties in government. I'm told there are lots in New Zealand. Uh, We might have to have a whole load of New Zealand civil servants to come over and do it for us. With special visas. Last thought from you both. Emma, do you think that Jeremy Corbyn will just continue to hang on? Uh, He's clearly very difficult. He's a sticky guy to get out of office. Is there a historical parallel or something that you would take inspiration from someone who wants the party to move in a more centrist direction? I hope for the sake of the Labour Party that Jeremy Corbyn won't win the leadership election that we have just kick-started because I think if he does, there is a real prospect that the party might split. And frankly, if we had any other uh, more proportional uh, election system, we wouldn't have one Labour Party. There would be two parties and he would be in a hard-left party. Would that be the good thing? In our in the first past the post system, it is better for Labour. Uh, we still have a decent brand. It is taking a bit of a knock, to be frank, and it has done in recent weeks and months. But I want to retain the Labour Party brand, and I want to make sure that we are a party that seeks government to put our principles and values into action, rather than becoming a party of protest, which is what we're coming under under Jeremy's leadership. It's really part of the Marxist-Leninist playbook. You do not give up power under any circumstances, especially as they've waited for so long to uh, take over the Labour Party. They were defeated in the 50s, 60s, 70s in their attempt to take over the Labour Party. They've succeeded in doing it, and they're not going to give up now. Andrew Roberts signing us off from a momentous week in British politics. And speaking of that Marxist-Leninist playbook, I must run up to Books and Arts and see if I can borrow The Economist copy. That's all from our programme this week. And of course, you can follow all of our political coverage at economist.com. You can also find an earlier interview I did with Philip Hammond, now the Chancellor, under The Economist Asks, wherever you listen to Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. 